Amen. Well, good morning again. All right, so we are moving forward. So we are back in Judges this morning. All right, no, no rest for us. All right. Uh, so think back, think back to three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, we were introduced to the Judge Gideon. Pastor Steve uh, talked about how Midian was, or how, sorry, how Gideon was called, and how he was prepared for this great fight with the Midianites, who were as abundant as the, the locusts who were devouring the land. And we saw that, that week, three weeks ago, that God had to prepare Israel and Gideon in reminding them that ultimately this battle that was before them was a larger spiritual battle between God and the idolatry of the nation. That he wasn't just contending with the Midianites, he was contending with Baal and the Asherah and the, the false worship of the day. And Gideon was prepared in, in understanding all of those dynamics by going and tearing down the altars of Baal. That he might be ready to then go into battle knowing that this is not about the battle itself, it's about the, the spiritual realities behind it. Well, today we're now going back and actually going into battle against the Midianites with that foundation. We're going to, to earn the, the salvation, the victory. And we're going to see that Gideon, he, he doesn't do a great job of it. That as much as he's supposed to learn this lesson of that, that the battle is won by the Lord and that this is a, a pursuit of faith, he doesn't demonstrate great faith. He's faithless in the midst of these things. And we're going to see how the Lord reveals his great will, how he works salvation in spite of Gideon and in spite of this faithlessness. Ultimately, that we might see that we can put all our confidences in all these other things. We can try to build up our own salvations. Or we can just trust in what the Lord is doing, what he sovereignly reveals, and, and take him with the salvation that we have received from Christ. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, we'll look at this story. Father, we praise you as the Lord of all, as the great worker of salvation through Jesus Christ. And, Father, we confess that we are often faithless, and we try to bring more to the table when we, in reality, all we need is, is you to fight in the battle. And so, Father, would you help us to, to see in this story how we might change? Would you convict our hearts? And would you show us how this points to the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ? Father, would you protect us from foolishness that we may receive all that you have for us by grace? We pray in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so Gideon is going forward. He's taking on the Midianites. We saw that, that the point of this was faithfulness towards this God who can deliver and who has promised to do so. And now we have not just the spiritual realities, but the physical realities before him. We have this great collecting of the armies of the Midianites and the surrounding peoples. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together. And they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. 
All right, this is bad news. This is them coming and, and kind of invading, coming into the, the surrounding lands of Gideon. And just so we understand, okay, what did this actually look like? Verse, uh, verse 12 in chapter 7. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. All right. This is the, this is the battle that is going to be won or lost. This is the challenge. As abundant as the sand on the, on the seashore. And what does Gideon do with this? Has he learned his lesson? What is he bringing to the table? Well, for the, first of all, he thinks, okay, I'm going to do the reasonable thing. Army versus army, he's going to gather his own people, his armies together. Verse 34. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. All right, so that's good. The Spirit clothed Gideon to do what he needed to do, but what does he do with it? He sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. That's his family clan. And he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, and they too were called to follow him. This is that whole tribe that he's a part of. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet with them. So he's gathering all of these northern tribes to match the army that is set before him. And yet, it doesn't seem to inspire much confidence because we now have this, the most memorable aspect of Gideon's whole life. All right, we have the laying out of the fleeces. All right. A lot of us don't understand this, so we have to pay attention. All right, first let's see what he does and why he does it. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. He rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece. He wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak again just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. All right. What is Gideon doing? All right. He says exactly what he's doing. He is testing God. He is testing God. And notice, does he know what God has said? Absolutely. He says it again and again. As you said, as you said, as you said. So it's not that he doesn't know if God will do it. No, God has already said he will. What has Gideon not, not, not gotten out of this yet? He hasn't gotten faith. He doesn't believe God will do it, as, he's, as God has already said. And so, instead of relying on faith, he tests. All right, an illustration of this. Okay, so one time... Uh, Casey and I, we were in San Diego, and we needed to catch the train. Now, we were staying with my parents, and so what did I tell my dad? Dad, we have to catch the train. 3 p.m. 3 p.m., we have to catch this train. 
Now, my dad is not the most punctual person. <laughs> my family is not the most punctual family. Uh, maybe you've noticed I've inherited a bit of that. Uh, all right. Dad, it's at 3 o'clock. If we are not there, we will miss it. We already have our tickets, but like we bought them. We need to pick them up and go to the train. All right, we'll get there at 3. All right. Now, at 2.59, where are we? We are peeling down the highway. All right, we can see. You can see the, the parking lot, and you can see the trains lined up. And what's going on? Like, all, all, everything is breaking loose. All right, everyone's yelling at each other. Uh, my, my mom is yelling at my dad, and my dad's saying, well, just, they'll, just, they'll just run, run. It's never really on time. And they just grab their bags, run, run, run. And it's all stressful, and we're trying to get there. All right. And I look over at Casey, and I look at my parents, and I said, the train doesn't leave till 3.15. <laughs> all right. What did I do? I tested my father. Now, he didn't like the test. Uh, that didn't, didn't go over well when I said that. But I, could, I had two choices. I could trust the word of my father, or I could make sure things go my way. All right, I chose, I chose the latter. Uh, all right, did that make me a, a faithful son? No. Did, was I right that time? Yes. Um, all right. We're thinking about testing, testing what we, ha- what we ought to receive by faith. Now, knowing my dad, I didn't have great trust in him. And so I, I finagled the circumstances and I circumvented a need for faith and trust and tested instead. All right, that's what's going on here. When we talk about testing the Lord, uh, it's not just kind of, okay, will you do A or B? It's, it's not trusting what God has already said and making sure that you have kind of hedged your bets so that you don't have to live by faith. You don't have to just trust God at his word. You can gather up other provisions, other supports. You can live by more than just the word of God. That's what it looks like to test the Lord. Israel, when they were wandering in the desert, they tested the Lord, not by anything we would call a test, by just complaining. They were complaining and saying, well, God doesn't love us. He's not going to provide for us. All right. They were refusing to live by faith, and God received that as a great test of him. All right. We see this also uh, in Jesus. When Satan is tempting him, he, he brings Jesus to the top of the temple and says, throw yourself off. Throw yourself off. There's verses that say that God will protect you. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, that you, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Why? Because Jesus was supposed to be the, the, the perfectly faithful one who lived by perfect faith. And you had to trust that when he went to the cross, his father would, would still be with him, would resurrect him. But he could have cheated. He could have cheated and said, 
Hey, remember that time I threw myself off the temple? He saved me then. He'll probably save me again. So he wouldn't have to live by faith. He wouldn't have to simply rely upon the word that he's heard. He could gather for himself all these other little evidences. That is what Gideon is doing. He's circumventing faith. And just, so, just as a reminder, like, so Judges 6.16, we've discussed this. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. As one man. So this whole multitude, it'll be as if there's only one person standing before them and they just have to kill that one guy. That's how easy the battle's going to be. That's what it's going to look like. That's what victory is going to be given to them. Now, he didn't believe this was God, and so he went through this little test where he puts out a bunch of food, and then the food, like, spontaneously combusts. And he exclaims this in verse 22. Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He knew this was God. He knew the promise. He knew he was going to be delivered. And yet this is what he does with it. All right, what do we do with this? First of all, I, I've been trying to teach the, in, in the youth, youth studies, we've been talking about this. All right, this is history. This is history. You have to be careful with history. Because the Bible, it reports on things that happened. That doesn't mean that those things ought to have happened. But these were good things. That's just what happened. And oftentimes when we read stuff like this, especially Old Testament passages, we think if this was bad, God would have yelled at him. Or God would have smote him in his, in his foolishness. Or at least God wouldn't have complied. And so we assume, that well, if that, none of that happened, it must be good, it must be okay. All right, that's not always the case. As we see in Judges, actually, so much of what the Judges do is terrible. And they're filled with the Spirit, and then they do awful things. It's not saying, hey, those are great, those, those things that seem awful are great. No, the whole point of this is that the Judges are terrible. And they're not what they ought to be. The whole point of Judges is that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. They don't care what God thinks. And even, even those filled with the Spirit don't lead in a godly way. Gideon is a man of his, of his culture, a man of his time. He is just as faithless as the rest of Israel. And he's a, he's a great war leader. He's a great warmonger. He's not a true spiritual leader. That's what so, is so broken about Judges is they need a great king who will lead them in true worship. And not just get you out of your hardship for the day, but deliver you from idolatry and bring you true salvation. That's what Judges is about. All right. So, how does this relate to you and I? All right, first. There's two ways to mess this up. First. If God has said something, you can receive it as true. You don't need to put it to the test. 
You don't need to put it to the test. We have, we have the sovereign God who speaks with all authority. If he has said it, it is as good as done. And I, I, I see this. If God says that he will save you in Christ by faith alone, then it is true. All right, we've been talking week after week about adoption, that you are, you are a child of God through Christ, that we are, we are adopted in that family. We had that great prayer about the older brother. All right. That's true of you. You don't need to test it. But some of you, some of you do test it. Sometimes I test it. And we do things like, well, if you really love me, if you're really, then, then you'll do this wild thing that I just invented off the top of my head, and it'll prove that I am your child. Or do we say, you know, I'll do this obviously foolish, awful thing, and you'll work it for these amazing purposes because you're my great father and you love me so much. No, you're just being foolish. And you're putting the Lord to God to, your, to the test. Things that are true of you in Christ, God has declared, they're true. And oftentimes we make those tests and we invented the test. We say God fails them and then we believe in lies. Right? That's just a way to deceive yourself. And if, you're, if you hold up things in your life and, and test God and say, well, if, if you really love me, you'll, you'll never take this away from me. And then he does, and how dare you, God? All right, you invented a test. That's not, that's not God's fault that he failed a test that was never real. If he said things that are true of you in Christ, they're real. And they're true, and you don't need to test them. Now, that takes us then to the second thing. Um, most of you don't think of it in, the, in those terms. That's not how we talk about Gideon's fleece. Right? When we talk about Gideon's fleece, we say, we often talk about that in the realm of, I don't know what God wants. I don't know what God wants me to do, so I'm going to put out this thing that's going to help me know. Notice, Gideon did not do that. He did a lot bad, but he didn't do that. He already knew the will of God. He just wanted to make sure that he could get a, an extra check mark on that box. Now, for many people, as they talk about putting out their fleece and testing God, it's because they're saying, God hasn't revealed his will to me. I don't know what to do. I remember talking to this uh, a friend of ours from college. And she was like, figuring out if she should go to law school, should she, what should she do? And she says, you know what? What does God want me to do? I just have no idea. All right. Why doesn't he tell us what he wants us to do? You say, have you read the Bible? There are a million things that God wants you to do. He makes it all too clear, all of these things he wants you to do. There are, there are thousands of laws of what he wants you to do. There are, there are whole stories about giving your life to him and counting the cost, and it's so clear ultimately what he wants you to do. The will of God is not hard to determine in that sense. What are we really saying? What we're really saying is, I don't really care about the kingdom and his commandments and his glory. I don't need help with that stuff. I don't, 
I don't want to know that. I want to know what college I should go to. I want to know what job I ought to do. If I should have a kid or not have another kid. And we realize that God hasn't spoken to those things because they're not the kingdom stuff. And we're bringing our own agendas and we're bringing our own desires. We're bringing our own life course to him and saying, well, God, I kind of want your stamp of approval on this. All right, we do that with a bad heart because we don't really care about the stuff he said. Oftentimes, we just want to bring God along for the ride. And so, uh, the solution then is not to manipulate God into speaking about things he hasn't spoken of and make up little tests like, oh, like, uh, uh, should I go to, to University A or University B? Well, I'm going to scroll Facebook for the next half hour, and whichever one is mentioned more, if someone happens to say something about one of the, I will know that that's the, that's the one that I should go to. All right. Is that a good way of testing? No, God never said he's going to work like that. Just because you invented something in your mind doesn't make it that that's a good way of God communicating to you. But I think that's often what this is talked about. And that, that's how this is used. Now, if you want to discern what God's will is for your life, all right, we have some real things. Pursue the kingdom. Pursue the kingdom first and things will fall into place. That is a great promise. All right. Ask wise people who know you better than you probably know yourself. Talk to, to your elders. Talk to people who are following Christ. And they'll help you. They really will. All right. Confess. Confess all of your real heart motives. Like, get real with your heart. All right, why do you want to do the things that you're called to do? Do you really want your own glory? Do you just want money? Do you want to escape? All right. Obey the commandments of God. If you're a great plan and you think God, is, God is, has rubber-stamped a plan that includes disobeying his commandments and sin, he hasn't. He hasn't. And finally, I'd, I'd say, remember the truths that, that remain in spite of everything else. If you are Christ, he goes with you. And that the things happen are sovereignly ordained. And that you're not going to step outside of his will by doing what you're doing. All right. Now, uh, all right, if you're doing the fleece thing, please stop. I think of I've had, I've, I've heard, I've, I've heard out of my own, my own mouth and from other people, like, oh, well, have you laid out a fleece about this? Like, all right, that was wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. All right, when you play magic eight ball with the Bible, and you're like, should I, should I go to sleep or should I study for this test more? And you like flip through the Bible and you end up in some random verse that says, and, and the Amalekites went and delivered from, 
and you try to deduce like, well, the Amalekites are probably my homework, and <laughs> you know, God, God had victory over them, so I should probably just go to bed. All right. No, don't do that. All right. Now, for some of you, that means going back into the past and, and admitting, ooh, I gave really bad advice there. Or the reasons I did certain things were because I thought I laid out a fleece and I, that gave me so much, fa- so much trust. All right, shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that, don't do it again. The whole point of learning is so that we, we learn what pleases God and we stop doing things that are silly. Right? There's an abundance of grace. If you've done it wrong, change. Right? And I'll tell you, like, the laying out the fleece stuff, it starts to prove really flimsy when things start to go wrong. When there's suffering and when the way you planned it isn't going right, you know it's really easy to question whether or not your fleece was wet or not or whether you really heard from God or not. That's, where, that's not the test. The test is you have a sovereign Lord who is in control of your life and who has adopted you and loves you and is, is willing the things that happen all right, that gives you an abundance of faith. That's something that can stand the test. All right, not these other things. Amen? Amen, okay. All right, let's, get, let's keep going then. So, we have Gideon, this foolish leader who is, by the grace of God, still used for his purposes. And God then, he reveals his great plan to show that you really don't need to hedge your best. You can trust in God. All right. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then Drubabal, that is Gideon, he received that name earlier, the contender with, with God, the contender with Baal, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of, of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. All right, what do we start to see? That not only was the, the laying out of the fleeces unnecessary and unhelpful, even the recruiting of all the armies was unhelpful and unnecessary. That Gideon was told he didn't need these great armies. And so what does God say? You know, actually, that'll take away from my glory. That'll take away from my purposes. The whole point was that I can deliver you. All you have to do is trust in me. You don't have to bring anything else to the table. And so he sends out all the other people at the table. He sends them home starting with all those who don't have the faith to really believe that God is going to be victorious. If you're shaking in your boots, you don't get what's going on here. But even after that, there's too many. Verse 4. The Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. 
So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall, uh, set, by him, you shall set by himself. Otherwise, everyone who kneels down to drink. Oh, excuse me, I skipped a line there. Uh, Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. The number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go away to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below in the valley. All right. We went from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Why? Because God doesn't need help. God really, really doesn't need our help with salvation. And I hope that goes beyond just the story of Gideon for you, that you can see that that translates into all of salvation, that God doesn't need our help. And I remind us that when we go to spiritual battle, when we go to ultimate battle with death and destruction, with sin and shame and guilt, with addiction and spiritual darkness and the the enemies of evil, you don't need to gather an army. You don't need to gather all of your strength and power. You don't need to add feet to your prayer. You don't need to wash yourself clean and make yourself, you know, I want to at least bring 50% to the table. No. No, you don't need to do that. And to the extent that you do that, you rob God of his glory that he'll get in your victory. The victory belongs to the Lord. What do we bring? We bring faith. I hope that reminds you of some gospel things. You're saved by faith alone, not by works. Please don't think that you need to bring works to the table to receive salvation. Please don't think that God will only be victorious to the extent that you are obedient. All right, it's just not true. That's not the point of it. The point is his faithfulness to do the things that he has promised. And he actually doesn't need our help. He calls us to faith. Now that's where, right, we have this, this conviction of what God will do, but Gideon shouldn't have tested God. But God is gracious with Gideon in the midst of it. And now God is is doubly gracious. He comes to this man who is fearful and cowardly and lacks faith. And this time God says, you know what? I'll give you a sign. Not a sign that you created for yourself, but I'm going to give you a sign because I'm I'm gracious to give it. Verse 9. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pira, your servant. You shall hear what they say, and afterwards your, your hands shall be strengthened to go against the camp. All right, he doesn't have to, if you want to. 
This is the Lord acting to give faith. Not demanding it from him. And so he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the uh, armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east lay among the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camel were without, without number, as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. His comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of, of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. All right. We have both an incredible dream and a really good interpreter of it. <laughs> Talking about it right in front of Gideon. All right. What a blessing. How much better is this than a fleece? It's better. It's better. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Faith is difficult. Faith is incredibly difficult. It's hard to believe that what God has said is true is really true. It's hard to live like it's true. It's hard to live when the whole world around you is saying that it's not true. And that's where God is gracious. He does give signs. He does give encouragements. He does give reminders and helpful things. He gives signs like, like the, the Lord's Supper. He speaks to us through his word. He encourages us with one another. He gives us sometimes eyes to see the, the working of his plan, the working of good out of evil. Look for those things. Those are encouragements to faith. Do not demand them. Do not demand them. Do not create them out of thin air. Trust God to give you the faith to get along. And expect him to be working. Don't test him to see if he is. That's the difference between Gideon's test and, and God's. And I remind us, okay, does this remind you of the cross? Does this remind you of the cross? That against all odds, all right, how is this one who is beaten and mocked and shamed and nailed to a cross, how on earth is he going to be victorious? All right, God creates that circumstance so that we can see faithfulness. If God is wrecking your strength and wrecking your confidence and destroying the things that you rely upon, it might be that he's doing that for your good. So you might rely upon him, so you might have, have faith in him, so that at the end of your life you might say, not, wow, look, look how much I accomplished, but look how faithful the Lord is. I didn't bring anything to the table, but the Lord saves through Christ. That's a much better story. 
That's a story that brings glory to God. It's not a fun story to live until the very end. Now, finally we see the, the plan fulfilled. The power of God poured out in faithfulness. Verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into their hands of all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars. He said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp. At the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands, and the three companies held their uh, blew their trumpets and broke the jars, and they held in their left hands the torches and their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the armies ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. The army fled as far as uh, Beth Shittah toward Zazera, as far as the border of Al-Malah by Tabith. Right there. That's, that's where it was. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and Almanasa, and they pursued after Midian. All right. Now notice, there's just some things lacking here. Like, they didn't do anything. How is this battle won? The, the battle against all of the, the locusts and the sand of the sea, and they're killed as if one man in one definitive blow without a casualty, without even picking up their swords, they are destroying one another. All right. This is not a victory that 32,000 people is going to get. This is not a battle that 10,000 people is going to get. This is, a, this is a battle won by the Lord and the Lord alone. He was faithful to do what he promised beyond their imagination, their power, the, their ability. That's the kind of salvation that God is working. I think of the, the, the battle of Jericho. If you can call it a battle, like the walking around the city of Jericho until it falls down. All right, that's the level of salvation that we're looking for. That we are utterly powerless in our sin. That we are dead in transgression. That we cannot save ourselves. That we have no righteousness of our own. And yet we have this salvation given to us simply because we acted in faith in what God has said. That Jesus Christ has died for our sins. He has resurrected to give us eternal life. And that those who put their faith in Jesus will be resurrected with him. That is our salvation. That is your salvation if you have put your faith in Jesus. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. 
For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on, in the, the imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. When the final battle comes, it's not going to be because you picked up a sword. You're going to be dead in the grave, and you're going to hear a trumpet blast, and that's going to be your victory. That is the faithfulness of our God. That is what we trust in. That's what we rely upon. Do you believe in that victory? Do you believe in the grace of our God? Do you believe he is faithful? Do you believe he is able to do it and has promised to do it in Jesus Christ? If so, let's have the faith to believe it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are often faithless, and yet you are faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. Father, we ask that we would praise you in all of your glory and all the salvation that you have worked. Father, would you see, uh, would you help us to see all of the, the small salvations in light of and, and pointing forward to the great salvation that is found in Jesus. And Father, would you help us in the, in the battles that come beforehand to have great faith, to trust you, to believe the promises that you have given, to not question and test and grumble, to not try to go our own way and, and build our own kingdom. But Father, would we receive Jesus by faith, and trust in the things you say. And live in the light of the things that, that you have given us. Father, to you be all the praise and the glory. For the salvation you've worked in Jesus Christ. Would you apply them to us by your Holy Spirit. And would you bring them about. Until that day when we see our big brother face to face. In his name we pray.